Okay, guys, if you could make your way back to your seats. It's always a bummer to end like the social socializing that's happening. It's so nice watching everybody smile and talk to each other. Sorry to end your fun. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Um, does it feel like the world is like changing quickly? Anybody? Yeah, I feel like I can't keep up. I feel like the world changes so fast. I, this is going to make me feel old, but I've been here in Clifton for about nine, eight, eight or nine years. I, between eight and nine years, I forget. But uh, I feel like things have changed so much just in this environment since I've been here. I remember, uh, it seems like there's always something new. I remember when, like, Jewel Pods came out. It took me, like, six months to realize what that even was. I was like, are people buying rubies or something? Like, what is this? You know, or, like, all of a sudden, people don't really wear clothes at the gym anymore. That was not, it was not that way when I was a freshman in college here. Uh, COVID, I feel like, just in general, changed, like, so much of our culture. And just things changed so quickly because of COVID. I feel like the news media is something that's changed a lot. It feels like it's a weapon almost. Like the news media has, has become weaponized uh, over the past few years. One thing that, that I, I have seen a lot of change in in our culture um, is honor. Honor. I, I would say in the, in the past few years, something I've observed is that, that political division, cancel culture, and narcissism, and a slew of other things have set us back as a culture in the area of honor. It, it feels like as a culture, we've chosen to value our own opinions over, over honoring people with different ones. Craig Rochelle, a pastor of a, a church out in Oklahoma, he said this. He said, we are living in the age of perpetual offense, where we are quick to judge, quick to criticize, quick to condemn, and quick to cancel anyone who offends us. It used to just be those who are well-known, like politicians, athletes, or business leaders, but now, unfortunately, it could be a teacher, coworker, or a friend on social media who says something you don't like, so you cut them out of your life feels so normal. Like, that happens all the time now. We're so quick as a culture to just cut people out. I think that we've lost what it means to honor others. And something that humanity has been bad at for far beyond the past 10 years is honoring God. We, as humans, are so quick to cut God out of our life when he has an opinion that's different from ours, or when he says something that we might not want to hear. We forget him so quickly, and people have been doing that forever. Jeremiah 18, 15, God is speaking to his people Israel. He says, my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods, gods who made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads, not the highway. This is thousands of years ago, and, and people were doing then what people are still doing today, forgetting God, dishonoring God, being quick to cut God out when he might say something challenging to them. This morning, I want to call us back to honor. My prayer is that this church would be a place full of honor. First and foremost, honor towards God, but also honor towards people. People that, that might consider us their enemies. Honor towards people with opposite views from us. People with different theology from us. Maybe even honor towards people that we struggle to like. Or honor towards those who've hurt us. My prayer is that, that we as a church would not be selective with who we show our honor to but that we would honor everybody. That's my goal today. Sound good? Yeah? Cool. I'm going to pray for us. God, I thank you that you don't forget us. 
We're so quick to forget you. Thank you that you don't forget us. God, we, we want to be a people that honor you. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, into this space. Pray that you'd come, that you'd speak, and that you would just be here. And I, I pray for conviction, that you would, you would just move in the heart and the mind of every person in this room, and that you would make us a people of honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been with us at all in the past few weeks, we've been in this series called Kingdom Culture, and I'm excited about this series. I love it. What, what we've basically been, been doing this semester is exploring uh, all these different ways where the culture that we live in is contrary to the culture of God's kingdom, right? We, we all find ourselves in the middle of this conflict between kingdoms. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, um, but there's God's kingdom, and then there's the kingdom of the world. And these kingdoms butt heads a lot of the time. They disagree a lot of the time. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, He, referring to God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Right there, it's saying, before we knew Jesus, we were in one kingdom. And it's called the domain of darkness. And when you say yes to Jesus, you surrender to him. You say, I want to follow you. I want my life to belong to you. What happens is you are transferred out of that domain of darkness into another kingdom. You receive a new citizenship. You might live in the world, but you're no longer a citizen of the world. You become a citizen of the kingdom of King Jesus. And the culture of that kingdom oftentimes is very different from the culture of the world that we live in. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 speaks onto this. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. It's kind of a depressing scripture. But, but before you met Jesus, you were, what were you doing? You were just following the course of the world. And who's the one in this scripture who sets the course of the world? It's the prince of the power of the air. That's another name for Satan. It's almost like you can kind of imagine like a river flowing. And that river is, is the world. It's the course of the world, the culture of this world. If you're not really aware of what's going on, you're just going to kind of drift along with the flow of that river. But a lot of what following Jesus is, is, is recognizing, no, I'm part of a new kingdom. I'm going to swim against the current. The, the eight and a half, nine years I've been a Christian, I, I feel like a lot of what I've learned in that time is how to swim against the current and be okay with that. Like how to be okay with being a follower of Jesus in, in a world that, that doesn't honor him as king. So really, yeah, Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. And when it comes to honor, he hates honor. He doesn't honor God. He doesn't honor people. So of course, he's going to try to influence the course of this world and the culture that we live in towards dishonor because that's the culture of his kingdom. And I think for us, without realizing it, we've been swept up in the course of this world when it comes to honor. So today and for the rest of the series, we, we must unalign ourselves with the parts of the culture of the world that are contrary to God's kingdom and, and realign ourselves with God's kingdom culture. And God, one thing that is so clear, and I'll show you, is that God calls us to be a people of honor. My text for the day, it's just one verse. I'll keep it simple for you guys. I'd encourage you to memorize this verse. I want you to, when, if you, you know, in a few weeks, you think back to this message, I hope that you think about this verse because it's powerful and it's so clear. 
and it speaks, it speaks very directly into honor. 1 Peter 2.17, it says, honor people that voted the same way as you. It's not what it says. It says, okay, it says, honor people who don't confront you about sin in your life. No, that's not what it says. Okay, okay. Honor people that you like. No. Honor people that have never hurt you. No, that's not what it says. Okay. What it actually says is honor everyone. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Is that the emperor of Rome? that was like violently persecuting Christians and burning Christians in baskets on the street. Honor that dude? Really? Peter, are you serious? You're going to tell us to honor the emperor? We disagree with like everything that he stands for. Yes, honor even the emperor. Honor everyone. This scripture is not, it's not a suggestion. It's not advice. These are commands that you will either obey or disobey. And the, the command is to honor everyone. So if we're going to be talking about honor, I think it'd be valuable to, to, to define what is honor. You know, I, the past couple of weeks, I've asked a handful of people, like, what is honor? And the responses are all good. I haven't gotten any, like, totally dumb responses, but they're all different. It's kind of a hard thing to define. So the Greek word, let's look at the Greek word that's, that's used here in 1 Peter 2.17. It's the word tameo. And it, it simply means to assign value, to esteem highly, or to have a high view of someone. On the other hand, the, the word that the Bible uses for dishonor is atomos. And it means to not recognize the value or dignity of someone, to not acknowledge their worth. I think oftentimes our attitude is once you act honorably, then I will honor you. Or once you align yourself with me, I will honor you. And that is a dead wrong perspective. Oftentimes, what I've noticed is, is that when we uh, treat people that way, and we say, once you act honorably, I will honor you, what we actually do is we, we cultivate dishonor in people. Like, we make people dishonorable. I see this with, with homeless people. Over the years, I've built some friendships with homeless people in the area. There's one relationship in mind that I think of, a, a guy that I got really close with. I've known him for about six years now. And, man, this guy has done some very dishonorable things. Um, but we, we developed a really good friendship. And, and I think the reason we were able to do that is because I honored him. Like, I, I, even though he's, you know, gone to prison for committing violent crimes, even though he's robbed from people and, and stolen from people and been addicted to heroin and, like, done all this terrible stuff, like, when I met this guy, I was able to just see, you have value. You've done dishonorable things, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to choose to honor you. And the really cool thing is he's just like a normal human, you know, and, and like we had a really, really awesome relationship. And what I noticed is that when I treated him with honor, it, it cultivated honor in him. You know, but then you, you <laughs> I mean, all of us have probably been heckled by homeless people. And maybe you like give a rude response and they, they just kind of lash out or like say something nasty to you. I think when we treat people dishonorably, it cultivates dishonor in them. So, so don't like judge whether people are worthy of your honor. Obey First Peter 2.17 and honor everyone. 
Why, so I think a good question to ask, you know, we've defined honor. Why does God care so much about us honoring people? Why does he care that we honor everyone? Proverbs 17.5, it says, Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. And I'm not, I'm not preaching a sermon on, like, you know, poor, like, homeless people. and like that, I mean, that's a really good thing, but I'm just using the scripture to, to show the point. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. How you treat people is also how you're treating God. Because God made people in his image. God cares about us honoring people because people were made in the image of God. Matthew 25, 35 through 40 gives a lot of detail into this. This is Jesus talking about the final judgment. And he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So when you honor people, when you love people, when you're kind to people, you're also honoring and loving and being kind to God. When you dishonor people, you're also dishonoring the God who made man in his image. I, I think of, like, my wife, you know. I'm married to Ashley. Um, if someone treats my wife terribly, that's going to be a problem for me. You know, we'll probably have an issue with each other. But if someone, on the other hand, like, treats my wife really, really well, you're going to earn points with me. And it's because I love her. I didn't make my wife in my image like God did with us, but I love her, you know. It's the same idea, like God loves his creation, and he, he made his creation in his image. And so when we treat people badly or dishonor people, it's, it's a reflection of, of us towards God. And you know what's crazy is that God actually honors us, which blows my mind. Because we've all been so dishonorable, but Isaiah 43, 3-4 says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you. God sees you as precious and honored. Even if you did something you regret this weekend, right? Even if you've made so many mistakes, even if you've been ignoring him, and not talking to him, even if you've been actively living in sin, he sees you as precious, and he honors you, even though you've been dishonorable. You and I really, we do not deserve honor from God, but yet he sees us with worth, he, he esteems us highly, and he sees us with, with value. And you see this all through scripture. You see, you see honor exemplified in radical, over-the-top ways. It's hard to even, like, know what story to share because I've, I, there's, there's so many where, where, like, honor just comes up in this crazy powerful way. But one that just resonates with me is, is Jesus. Towards the very end of his life, before he is going to go and die on the cross, you know, he, he comes into Jerusalem uh, on a donkey and people are, are, you know, praising him and, and worshiping him and saying, Hosanna, you know, like, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and Jesus knows what he's walking into. He knows these people that are praising me right now are going to be chanting crucify him in just a few days. Um, but he comes into Jerusalem and he goes and he knows, he knows everything that's going to happen. And he has the last supper with his disciples, celebrates Passover in the upper room. 
And something happens in the upper room that is just a mind-blowing picture of honor. In John chapter 13, 1 through 5, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own people who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. If you knew you were going to die in like a few, like a 24 hours or however long after this event Jesus died, I doubt any of us in this room would think, okay, I need to start washing feet. (laughs) That's crazy. That's just such a bizarre thing to do. But it's like Jesus uh, humbled himself and like served these disciples. They were following him. He's the teacher. He humbles himself and he washes their feet. That's really honorable. But, But the thing that is even crazier is that Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas. He knew what was going to happen. Like, he knew this man is going to stab me in the back. He is going to turn me over to authorities that are going to then have me crucified for crimes that I didn't commit. And not only that, but he's followed me for three years. He's eaten countless meals with me. I've trusted him. And he is going to trade my life for a bag of silver. He knew that. He knew all of that information. And yet he got on the ground with a basin of water and washed this man's feet. None of you have ever been betrayed as badly as Jesus was betrayed. None of us have ever been wronged as badly as Jesus was wronged by Judas. And yet he honored him. He, he treated him with value. He saw the worth in Judas and he, he served him. He did this crazy act of service to Judas. And then like, it doesn't even stop there. Jesus continues to exemplify honor. Sure enough, he gets arrested, put on trial, beaten, whipped. Gets a cross put on his back. He carries it to Golgotha. Nails get driven through his hands. Crown of thorn put on his head. He's stripped naked, hoisted up on this cross. And just the most humiliating, like, he... he People that he had healed, people that he had multiplied miraculously, multiplied bread and fish to feed, people that he'd cast demons out of, they're there watching him n- totally naked, bloody, and dying. Okay? And you know what he prays? He says, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Oh my gosh, they hadn't even asked for forgiveness. They were mocking him. Yet Jesus saw their value. He saw their worth. He saw that they're made in God's image and they're just lost. They're just confused. Jesus exemplified honor in a radical way. And it's because honor is a part of the culture of heaven. It's the, it is the culture of God's kingdom. Honor is who he is. And so if we want to, to be citizens of the kingdom of King Jesus— we need to exemplify honor. We need to be a people of honor. So, so how can we appropriately unalign ourselves with the culture of the world and, and dishonor and all that stuff? And how can we align ourselves with God's kingdom? So we're going to be talking about the, the rest of our time this morning. 
it starts first and foremost by honoring God. You can't really talk about honoring people until you talk about honoring God. It starts with that. You can, you can try to see the value in people and see the worth in people. Um, but if you really want to live a life of honor towards people, it starts with honoring God. And, and like really what I'm talking about is, is believing in who Jesus is. If you want to honor Jesus, believe who he said he was. Believe him. See the worth of who Jesus was. This man that, that sacrificed everything for us, like see his, that he is worthy and make the decision to follow him. It's just a decision to, to yield uh, authority of your life, to yield leadership of your life to him, giving, giving it to him. I think that's step one. If you want to honor people, you have to honor God first. And the way we do that is by just following Jesus, submitting our life to him, elevating him above us. So past that, I want to I really, get really practical, and I want to identify some ways um, that we knowingly or unknowingly dishonor people. And then I want to give you a, a kingdom alternative to each of those things. So I have three things, okay? Ways that where we, we need to unalign ourselves from dishonor and align ourselves with honor in God's kingdom. First thing, I'm excited to talk about this one because I think we need it as a church. Repent of gossip and slander. And instead, speak life with your tongue. So turn away from dishonor. Repent of gossip and slander. Repent just means to change the way you think and to to change your course. Repent from that. Repent of gossip and slander. And instead, speak life with your tongue. I hate gossip. I hate it so much. And the thing is, like, I'm guilty of it. Because it's a thing that you just kind of, you kind of slip into um, not everyone does. A lot of people gossip because they like it and they do it intentionally. But, but I just, I hate it. I hate that it's been present in my life before. And I hate it because it is so, it is so destructive. Gossip is so destructive. It's one of those sins that like we don't view as, as I don't know, seriously or as with as much weight as maybe like someone's getting high on the weekends like that okay that might yeah like sure that's sin but gossip like yeah you know I don't know it's not that bad it is it's so destructive it leads to death the the Greek word that that um, scripture uses for gossip it's kind of hard to pronounce it's sethuristis and it means quietly and secretly destroying another person's character not out in the open but rather operating in a corner Gossip is quietly and secretly destroying another person's character. Gossip is a thing that's birthed out of pride and insecurity most of the time, maybe some combination of of both of those things. I think pride and insecurity kind of lead us towards gossip. Gossip is the total opposite of honor. Honor is having a high view of people. Gossip is, is cutting them down and destroying them behind their back. Gossip, I, th- I think, is a clear marker of, of spiritual immaturity. And it just secretly, deceptively works its way into our speech a lot of the time without us even realizing it. Proverbs 16, 28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 26, 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling, ceases. Gossip is, it's like fuel for quarreling. And I think gossip a lot of times, like it dresses itself up in a way that doesn't look all that bad, like venting. You know, I just need to vent. 
I need to vent about this person that's giving me all these problems. And, and we think that we're, like, helping ourselves by, by venting. And, you know, sure, sometimes it's important to talk about interpersonal issues that you're having with other people, with, with a mentor or someone that you trust. But, man, I think a lot of times venting is just gossip dressed up, trying to make it look nice. Is it really all that helpful? You know, I, I don't think it is. I, I think a lot of times venting about the problems that we have with people, it's just us trying to justify our hurt or, or trying to justify our opinions about people, and it's, it's destructive. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. The, ton- the, the, the words that come out of our mouth um, are powerful, whether we realize it or not. Like, our, our speech is, is a thing that is so capable of, of destroying but also building up. Our words matter deeply. I'm going to read a scripture from James about this. It's, it's a little long, but I think it's appropriate. James 3, 3 through 12, it says, If we put bit, bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. What that scripture is communicating is is that we can do a whole lot of damage with our tongue. And, and that it's, it's backwards. The idea that we can, with our mouth, like praise God, and then also five minutes later with our mouth, tear down a person that's made in God's image. It's so backwards. It ought not to be so. That's what the scripture says. And the scripture says that no human being can tame the tongue, but the cool thing is that the Holy Spirit can tame your tongue. You can't tame your tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. If you yield to him and surrender to him and ask him to, he can. I just, I just don't want us to tolerate gossip in our life. I don't want us to, to be a people that tolerate gossip. Unless, unless you want to tear people down, make the church unhealthy, and damage relationships. Then, then you can gossip, because that's what it'll do. And it's what it does. I've seen, I've seen gossip destroy relationships between Christians. I've seen gossip make communities of people unhealthy. It's destructive. Here's a, here's a really good filter that you can use to eliminate gossip in your life. I don't even, I don't, this isn't a scripture, I don't know where I heard this, but it's just good. It's a good filter. Would you say it about them if they were in the room? The answer is no, then don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. Would you say it about them if they were in the room? So instead, right, of, of speaking uh, destructively in, 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 a, in a way that dishonors people, instead speak life with your tongue. 
Speak life with your tongue. I think that, that gossip is, is, you know, equated with dishonor, but the kingdom alternative is speaking life with your tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. I talked a lot about how death is in the tongue, but that scripture says that life is also in the tongue, the power of life. You can, with your tongue, bring life into the world around you and into the people around you. Ephesians 4.29, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I want to I be a person that says things to people and about people that God would say to them or about them. I want to build people up with my tongue. Build people up. Think about that. You can build people up. You can help people improve. You can give people life with your words. You can give people grace with your words. Don't, don't you want the things that come out of your mouth to be the types of things that come out of God's mouth? I do. I don't want anything else to come out of my mouth other than things that would come out of his mouth. And you know, we're a church. Like, people are going to have problems with each other. It's what it is. We're a family. Families have issues sometimes. But if you engage with interpersonal conflict with a, with a perspective of honor, seeing the worth of people, and you only let life-giving things come out of your mouth, I guarantee you outcomes will be different. Guaranteed. Next time you have a, an issue with a person, rather than talking about it with everybody else, I encourage you to approach them boldly. Encourage them. Encourage them. And if there's disunity, do whatever you can to make peace. Even if you feel like they're in the wrong or they're mad at you for a dumb reason, what's more important, being right or winning, coming out on top or, or maintaining a relationship and maintaining honor in a relationship? The second is obviously more valuable and more important. I had a, a friend in college. I remember my, my freshman year, I met this guy, and like it, it's just a person I didn't really like him. He's just kind of annoying to me. Like, I just didn't really like him that much. But it, it became clear to me that it was a relationship God put in my life for a reason. And I didn't know anything about honor at the time. Um, but, but somehow, miraculously, God kind of just, like, taught me to honor this person and to speak life to them and about them. And, and it was awesome. By the end of college, they were one of my best friends. One of my best friends. And I think it's because honor is powerful. And God somehow empowered me to see this person with a, with a perspective of honor and to speak life to them and about them. And my heart started to change. I think some of the, the most difficult relationships in your life have the potential of being some of the best. They, they have the potential of being relationships that God teaches you through and, and transforms you through. But that's only going to happen if you honor that person and if you speak life to that person. Okay. Hopefully you're convicted. <laughs> Um, next one, next one. Repent of judgment and instead see people through a God lens. Judgment is something that our culture is very good at, right? Man, I feel like we're so good at judgment. Judgment and honor are incompatible. They just, they don't work together. You can't honor someone when you're judging them. It's, it doesn't work. And, and I want to I get something straight. When I, when I talk about judgment, I'm not talking about like the only God can judge me, you know, like a license to sin. I'm not talking, if I'm, if I'm meeting with a guy and he's having sex with his girlfriend and I'm like, bro, I call him out on it. That's not judgment. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is having this self-constructed criteria that we use to determine whether a person is worthy of our honor. 
You didn't pass my test, so you haven't earned the right to be viewed highly by me. That's what I'm talking about. Because 2 Peter says, honor who? Everyone, right? Everyone. Everyone. So that's, that's what I'm talking about when I refer to judgment. Using this criteria to, to assess whether a person is worthy of being viewed highly. I think that we do this with politics, with people on the other side of the aisle from us. Whatever your political position is, I think there's this, this tendency to, to, the people on the other side don't pass my test, so I'm not going to view you highly. I think that, that we're so prone to that. I think Christians, even judging other Christians that have different theology, I've seen that a lot. I think cancel culture in general is just fueled by judgment, and it is the total opposite of honor. Honor is not necessarily agreeing with everything a person does or believes, but it's seeing them highly. It's, it's seeing them through a God lens. I've, I've said this many times when I've preached. I'm, I'll probably keep saying it often because it's such a good quote. When God has an opinion of someone— you and I don't have a right to one. Hear that. When God has an opinion of someone, you and I do not have a right to an opinion. When he has an opinion, what is his opinion of everybody? Honorable, precious, worthy of the life of my son, made in my image. That is his opinion of people, all people including the homeless guy that heckles you for money, including Donald Trump or Joe Biden, or the, the professor or the boss that you butt heads with. He has an opinion of all of those people, and it's that he loves them, and he wants a relationship with them, and that they're made in his image. So see people the way God does. And the awesome thing, I've just noticed this, when you, when you let go of judgment, and you start to see people through a God lens, your heart will start to break for people, not because of people. I don't think Jesus' heart broke because of people. I don't think that when he was weeping on the cross, it's because he was hurt by people that he tried to heal and love, and they just treated him badly. I don't think, I think his heart broke for people, not because of people. I, I want to have a heart that, that is unbreakable by man, because that's how Jesus lived. But his, his heart broke all of the time for people. So re- repent of judgment and instead see people through a God lens. Because, man, he has a view about everybody. And I want his view of people to be my view of people. Next, repent of offense and bitterness. And instead, fight the right battles. Repent of offense and bitterness and instead fight the right battles. Our culture and just people in general, it seems, are almost like on this continuous search for offense. It's, it kind of feels like people want to be offended right now in this, this moment of culture that we're in. feels like people want to be offended. They're looking for something to be offended about. And offense and bitterness, what do they do? They give us a right to dishonor. Offense and bitter. If someone does something offensive to me and I become offended, it's almost like I'm I'm holding on to this permission slip to 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 dishonor you. We you don't you don't need to always have issues with people. It's possible. I don't think Jesus had issues with people. He challenged people. He said things that made people uncomfortable. But I don't think Jesus was bitter towards anyone. So I don't want to be. I don't want us to be. 
bitterness, it's a famous quote, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's so true. It's so bad for our soul. Bitterness is. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is your glory to overlook an offense. When, when someone wrongs you and you choose to not be offended by it, it is your glory to do that. Why? It's because that's how God is. How many of your offenses has he overlooked? All of them, right? If your faith is in Jesus, he's overlooked all of your offenses. How quick has he been to forgive you? Very quick. It is your glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, referring to Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was wronged constantly, and, and his perspective was not eye for an eye. His response to, to being dishonored and to, to, to being punished, and for even people viewing him in a, in a dishonorable way, his response was, was what? It was to trust God. Trust God, because God judges justly. I had a, when I was little, um, this is so funny, I, uh, we, we used to have family get-togethers all the time, like around Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I had three cousins that were all my age, boys, and uh, we would always like wrestle and roughhouse, and um, one time I just, I bit my cousin, like in the arm, really hard, like teeth marks in his arm, and he just started crying, and I don't know why I bit him. I was, I don't know, I was like 18. I'm just kidding. I was like seven, seven years old, and uh, he, he like ran out of the room crying and like went in with all the adults and was like, John bit me, and they, I could just, from the other room, I could hear like the concern of the parents, and like his parents kind of were mad at my parents, and, and I just kind of popped my head out the room to like see what's going on, and I remember my grandma, she's, <laughs> she says, uh, she says, well, if John bit Joseph, Joseph should get to bite John back. And I remember thinking, like, with my seven-year-old brain, like, that is the worst solution to this idea. That's so stupid. Like, that's so stupid. But I think that's, like, it's, it's funny, but that's how we feel a lot of the times. So, like, when someone wrongs us, we, it, like, we f- just feel like we have a right to be mad or we have a right to get them back. And that is not the kingdom. That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom says you get wronged, like love them in return. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's a culture of God's kingdom. And I think, man, I think that what offense and bitterness actually are, are us choosing the wrong enemy. Offense and bitterness are just us choosing the wrong enemy. It's us seeing the person as the problem. And the person is never the problem. The person is the mission, always. Recognize that people are never the problem. People are never supposed to be your enemy, which sounds crazy, but I think that that's how heaven works. I think that's how God's kingdom works. People are not the enemy. What is your enemy? Your enemy is evil. It's the devil. It's, it's sin. People are not the enemy. They're just, people are worthy of your honor and your love, and that's what they need. Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So if, if we're not supposed to wrestle against flesh and blood, don't be offended by flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our enemy is not man. 
Man is the mission. Our enemy is evil, right? And people, unfortunately, are lost. And they're enslaved to, to darkness and confusion and sin. And it makes them do bad stuff. It makes us do bad stuff. And we're trying to follow Jesus. So give people grace. Fight the right battle. Love people. Love your enemies. Man, I, I just, I want us to be a church that, that gives everyone honor. I don't want us to have this attitude where it's like, you have to earn honor from me. I want us to be a people that's, that views people highly, that sees the worth in man that's made in God's image. I want us to be a people that value each other, even when the other person has hurt you. That's how the kingdom works. Honor has, it's, it's changed my life. And I have a long way to go. I, I really do. Um, but man, I think honor, it just, it like, it's almost like it unlocks things. Like it, it will take you to new places in your faith. Uh, and it, it is a must because it's the culture of God's kingdom. So worship band, you can come back up. If, you, if you're in a spot where you're just like, man, I, I feel cut to the heart. I feel like there's someone in my life or people in my life that I have dishonored. I'd encourage you to repent this morning. There's going to be a prayer team all around the room. And if you, need to, if you need to go to someone and just say, like, I've failed. I've failed at showing honor to this person. Pray for me. Like, do that. Please do that. There's people that, that want to pray for you. If, you. if you're in a spot where you're like, I've dishonored someone in this room. There's, there's someone in this room that I am, am struggling with. In our, our relationship, it, there's tension and it's, I'd encourage you to make it right, to introduce honor into that relationship right now, this morning. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, it says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you're at church, <laughs> and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. If that's the spot you're in this morning, leave your gift at the altar. Like, go and make it right with that person. And that might be intimidating, but God cares so much about the relationships that we have with each other. We're a family. He's our father. We're all adopted children, and we need to get along. Let's be a people of honor, church, please. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we, are, we have acted so dishonorably towards you. We have failed to see your worth. We've failed to, to value you with the way that we live our life. Yet you honor us. We thank you, God. Thank you that you're patient. God, we want to we be a people that honors you. And we want to be a people that honors each other. So just, just transform us, God. I pray that you would totally eradicate gossip and, and judgment and offense from this body. I pray that this would just be a place full of love. Love for you and love for people. Those are the two greatest commands. 
God, that we would, we would speak life to each other, that we would speak life about each other, that we would fight the right battle, that we would have the right enemy. God, I pray that we would be a people who, who that we see each other the way you see us. Really, Jesus, I, I just want you to be the king of our life. We, we, we want to live how you live. We want to act how you acted. We, wanna, we would just want to be like you. So transform us. Make us like you. Make us like you. You're so good, and we love you. Thank you for, for just how amazing you are.